welcome to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for the first week of November 2014. Hopefully, hopefully everybody had a safe and wonderful Halloween for those that um, indulge in such things. I am your host, uh, interim pro temp host, Brandon Kikowski-Schnell, and I have three uh, fantastically talented individuals from Gaslamp Games to talk about all sorts of things, including their uh, new uh, city builder, uh, Clockwork Empires. So, um, Daniel, why don't you uh, get started with the introductions? Sure. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Daniel Jacobson. I am the studio director of Gaslamp. Are you introducing us? Um, no, I figured you could do it. Oh, yeah, you can fine. Do it. I'm Nicholas. I'm the uh, technical director of Gaslamp Games. And I'm David. I'm the art director at Gaslamp Games. And we handled that really well. You did. Very good. I know. Very good. Only a little awkward silence. <laughs> okay. So, um, so your latest game is Clockwork Empire. So you're coming off of... So Dungeons of Dreadmore was, what, 2011? Is that right? Yep. July of 2011. July. Okay. And so and now, so you went from a roguelike to a city builder or a colony is a would you call it a city builder or a colony we builder? We've been using colony builder. Yeah, it's a okay. it's a pretty new term, but I think it it probably encapsulates the idea a little bit better than city builder. It's a little bit more mm-hmm. focused. Okay. Now, would you say I'm going to I'm going to give you a few scenarios and I want you to tell me if I have hit on the purpose of Clockwork Empires, okay? Is the purpose of this game to have your colony die of starvation? Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, okay. can be. it can be. Uh, is the purpose to have your colonists turn into elder god minions, I think, is probably the best floating cube things? Is that a purpose? I, I, I think it's a symptom of the purpose mm-hmm. of the game. Okay, is one of the purposes to have everyone killed by fishmen? Yes. Sure. Good. Then I am firing on all <laughs> cylinders. <laughs> because I mean, you've, you've captured the basic idea there. Um, <laughs> it, 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 so the purpose is not to keep them alive? Because I kind of thought that was the purpose. The purpose is to have fun. Okay. Now, maybe fun for you involves all your colonists dying, and that's, that's fine. As long as it was amusing and entertaining as it happened, we're totally okay with that. Yeah, it was. Uh, so, so let's let's talk to people who uh, who have not because the game is available via early access, uh, so folks can check it out. So, but for people who who are have not checked out Clockwork Empires, what what is you, you say it's a colony builder? So, give the give the elevator pitch. Uh, um, it's it's a it's a tricky game to do an elevator pitch, but basically, um, the player is tasked with um, essentially being the invisible hand of bureaucracy in a new. Um, colony on the frontier of uh, the Clockwork Empire. And you're ostensibly, you are tasked with uh, making a stable settlement and uh, bringing uh, honor and, and um, proliferation of the empire and expanding it into the wilderness. Uh, but that's a, I don't know, the frontier is a very dangerous place and all kinds of horrible things can happen to you while you are trying to do this. So um, really it's, um, you know, fighting, um, you know, external elements, fighting internal elements and to try to uh, make a, um, a fully functioning town while um, sort of dealing with the uh, the events that pop up on, along your, along the way. Now, how did you decide to go from, like I said, from something like Dungeons of Dreadmore to 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 this game? So so a roguelike kind of more I don't want to say classic, but but um, 
dungeon delving to having colonists turn into elder god minions when they should be maybe mining clay. Um, it wasn't that big a step, really. <laughs> <laughs> Death is involved in both. Well, yeah. Actually, that's a fair point. It's uh, they're both sort of about procedural uh, entertainment of some kind, right? Right. Yeah. Sort of. You you die. You start again. Different things happen. You die. You start again. I mean, it's sort of we're a studio that so far at least used to be about creating games with some replay value, mm-hmm. and so that's sort of part of that. Yeah, we were we were kind of. Um, I don't know, we were tossing around a lot of ideas once um, Dungeons of the Dreadmore um, was released and sort of was successful enough for us to um, to sort of try our hand at something else. And um, we did, we, we definitely had in our heads the idea of games that, um, that can be played over and over again. Uh, we were really interested in um, something that um, was, was sort of uh, like coming out uh, in, in, uh, at the time in to, sort of late 2011, where people were actually starting to um, rediscover ways to talk to each other about games. Um, right. And we were just kind of uh, riffing on that, and there were a few um, ideas that we had uh, sort of stored away uh, over the course of making Dungeons of Dreadmore that really sort of um, reverberated with that idea. And mm-hmm. uh, the idea of making some sort of procedural... Um, uh, colony builder, city builder, um, was something that we were all kind of interested in at the time, uh, and it just it just really seemed like the right time and place, and seemed like something that we were all excited about. Right. Well, I, that that's a good point because you know I talked about the the the, the different runs I had uh, with my ill fated colony, uh, and and I mean every time things ended poorly, but in a different way, and I was and I'm not being facetious. It actually I was kind of surprised. Like I talk about the kind of the elder god influence and you know one point i i thought i had things fairly under control i i had I, you know i had my 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 kitchen was making uh cabbage stew i had i had a couple plots of land i had people mining and i i noticed one of my female colonists was kind of walking out into a clearing with a, with a bundle of wood and i'm like well that's weird what what's she doing over there she's not supposed to be over there and then she built this odd looking kind of Blair Witch Project jumble of sticks and I thought well that's, that's kind of weird and I didn't pay it any mind because I thought alright I'm barely hanging on here and the next thing you know my colonists are turning into monsters and, and, and I thought okay that's something that you're not going to see in SimCity that's <laughs> oh I don't know <laughs> maybe if the sanitation gets backed up enough. you cut back on traffic traffic you regret it right right well so so where do the kind of these 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 kind of influences come from these kind of like i don't want to say off kilter but they, they seem kind of off kilter for for what you would maybe um would typically think of in a in a city or colony builder i think off kilter is a great word for it uh okay Part of it is, I mean, we sort of had kicked a bunch of ideas around settings of things we don't want to do. And there was, we were very um, kind of thinking about steampunk stuff at the time. We were thinking a lot about sort of the, uh, the occult horrors popularized by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, and we sort of said, well, if we stick these things two together, will they be like peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You know, the something mm-hmm. is much better than any of its uh, composite elements. So that right. was sort of the thought process there. Um, and also, we I mean, just, you know, 
we just tend to do whatever seems like a good idea at the time as a studio, and sometimes you get things. I don't yeah. think we're even capable of making a normal game. So. No. <laughs> why, why even try? No. Just give up. Well, well, that's such a... I mean, that nowadays, I mean, games have expanded so much, I don't even know what you would consider normal. You might find, you know, there's certainly things that are typical within genres, but... Oh. Um, As a yeah. studio, we lost the contract for Barbie horse designer recently because we let you design the horse any way you wanted to design the horse. Apparently, if a child puts 12 legs in a horse, Mattel doesn't approve. Really? <laughs> they can't make a toy out of that. There are too, well, many, uh, there are too many joints. It's too it, expensive. It ate Ken's dream house. <laughs> uh, that would be problematic. No, one of the other, um, one of the other things um, sort of about the setting... Um, is actually it's actually a gameplay um, tie-in, which uh, is is really nice uh, when this happens um, with uh, the the sort of um, the, the steampunk elements and the um, cosmic cosmic horror. In the steampunk, really lends itself really well to building stuff. I mean, basically, right. that's that's it's it's really just an exaggeration of, of producing machines and producing uh, buildings and, and and factories and what have you. So that really fits uh, just from a thematic perspective. But the uh, one of the things that um, that the cosmic horror does is it gives us a really natural way of solving a problem that a lot of um, colony builders and city builders have which is that they only really have um like there there's the there's the external pressures and then there's the puzzle game aspect of creating sort of the perfect uh the perfect settlement the perfect colony the perfect city and once you sort of have that um there's not really an internal conflict there's not something that that's causing problems from within your city um right. and so it gives us a really um neat and rich um sort of uh like place to pull all kinds of exciting stuff so that, you know, you, if you have a, a large and, and fully functioning um, uh, town and you've, you've um, settled the wilderness and there's not really anything that really um, bothers you from the outside, then you have to sort of start looking inward. And it gives us a place to always uh, come up with uh, events that can, you know, motivate uh, something uh, unique to happen within the game and motivate the player to constantly be, you know, have something interesting going on. Right. Well, that's a good point, because the reason I ignored it, honestly, is I, I thought, OK, well, typically, you know, where the where the conflict comes is, I mean, I knew about the fishmen because they had already murdered half of my colony <laughs> in a previous run. Um, but, you know, I kind of expect the conflict to come from outside or from some sort of mismanagement, some sort of resource allocation or, or you know, I, I didn't expect this kind of kind of a combination of of an outside threat that wasn't something that I brought upon myself because I just kind of didn't plan well, correctly. It kind of is a mismanagement, um, but it's uh, it, in the some of the some of the characters are um, like specifically regarding the cult stuff. Some of the characters are more prone to cult behavior than others, and and how how do I? But but okay, go ahead. And so like there are and there are there are warning signs which. Um, we are we are getting better at informing the player about where if uh, this sort of thing starts happening, um, if they start having conversations about um, occult things, uh, you that you as a player, yes. if you're paying attention, you can actually see this and um, right. And I noticed that I, the, the next time I, I was like, oh wait a minute, they're they're well. That's the thing. Every like you talk about kind of the iterative nature. That's that you start to go okay. 
what you know oh yeah they're they're talking about this thing like i started but but go on uh what what did i do wrong um well it, i mean most of it is actually um stuff that we're we're doing wrong and we're using early access to try and hone um how to how to sort of message it to the player because in in the ideal in the ideal case you have some sort of soft uh alerts or soft warnings mm-hmm. that sort of say okay well they're talking about cult stuff that's probably not very good and if they do that enough then they actually start uh for cults and that's not actually a big deal as long as they don't manage to do anything and at that at, at the point at which they form a cult then um, there should be um, uh, less soft warnings to the player there should be more more prominent warnings to the player that says you know, that say you know like there's there's this cult now you should probably do something about this and right. if you leave that alone uh, long enough then they'll start doing things like going out into the woods and making shrines and throwing parties where people start uh, just you know praying around uh, objects and then you get some pretty bad stuff right but the uh sort of what is what is in place right now is um somewhere between the sort of symbolic uh, uh like idea that we are that we are getting to and the actual implementation so we've we've got you know the the cults actually form by characters having conversations and if they have specific traits that make them more inclined to uh occult activity they will um, they will be more inclined to join join those cults, and you can the the player is given some pretty coarse tools right now. Basically, you have the ability to select a character and click a frontier justice button, which will cause other characters, the more brutish uh, um, civilians and military, to basically execute them. So oh. you can actually deal with them um, before they become a problem, and a lot of that is the, the one. We there should be more options than just shooting them, and uh, mm-hmm. two, we should we need to be doing a better job of making it clear to the player that that's that's an option. So we're we're going through a process where we're trying different things and we're seeing what is uh, what is more clear, basically. It, are there colonists that are more? Um like not like less prone to cults. Like for example, if I wanted to, if if I created a work group uh, of of somebody like somebody who's who is a, a more open minded to cults, and maybe they they were tasked to do a task with somebody who was less prone to, would they cancel each other out because one can't talk to the other, or will somebody who who likes cults always find someone else who likes cults? Is there like a match dot com for cults <laughs> in this colony? Uh, I hope there's one in real life. Um, that, that would be horrifying. But in the game, they don't have computers. But uh, it, it basically, you're right that um, you you want to basically limit the the um, the amount of interaction that people who are more prone to these things have with the characters who aren't, pr- or to, to other characters who are. So if you, you're you're right, you want to have a character who might join a cult surrounded by people who are otherwise very, very ordinary and very untrusting of um, external influences. And that, that would um, just, just by putting them in a work group, they will have less conversations with other people because they'll, they'll generally be surrounded by those people. Um, right. Also the, uh, if people are idle, you know, idle hands and all that. Yeah, that was a big problem. I had to talk more <laughs> gossip more and cults might come up, talk about shop. Right, right. And that's exactly what I thought of when I saw people standing around and just kind of chat with one another. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, they don't have anything to do. That's yeah. going to be bad. So it's actually in your interest to keep people, you know, busy and hard at work. 
Idle fans right. or idle. Hands. That's right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mind as the devil's workshop. That's very Protestant of you. That's, that's well, a good I mean, they were like, it's about the Victorian morals. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Right. 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 Um, now, because building a church, I noticed in the, I think it was the blog update from maybe it was just a couple of days ago. Building a church, that's also a valid option, right? Like, oh yes, it's uh, yeah. We're that's what we're working on now, actually. Mm-hmm. I, now, okay, so cults can form, but now how do you deal with it? And now we have to give players tools that are not, you know, execution, basically. So is there a, uh, is there a, like a, like a Spanish Inquisition for cults? Uh, is it, is it a little less, uh, <laughs> oh, we, less we severe than that? that? Quite yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've made a lot of I don't know if you know this, but, but no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there was, there was some, something on, uh, Oh, one of the one of the gaming uh, subreddits about uh, a tooltip from was it EU three or something where they actually mm-hmm. referenced this? Yeah, it might have been Crusader Kings about the Spanish Inquisition that no one expects them. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> guys, yeah, yeah. Um, no, the um, I, the it's it's kind of a um, a mismatch um, having or or I don't know I, I don't know mismatch is the right right term but um, having traditional religion. Um, or at least uh, religion presented in a traditional way um, matched up against uh, cosmic horror influences because right. yeah. in um, sort of in traditional fiction when you do this uh, the like uh, classic religion isn't particularly well equipped to deal with it right um, so it's it's not um, you know you're fighting the powers of evil with the powers of good it's more um, how do you manage to keep people from thinking these things and be more wary of them. Uh, well, but it's, it's right. definitely not a good versus evil kind of... Um, yeah, like in a, a traditional... If a more fantastical game would be, you know, the priest can exercise demons and like have a holy sword or something. But we're, but, we're not doing right. that. It's more of a cosmic horror which exists in a vaguely scientific universe where that stuff right. is quite real. It's, I mean, the cosmic horrors are real. I can never remember if it was Marx or Nietzsche who said that uh, religion was the opiate of the masses. Marx? Okay, thank you. Yeah. I mean, so it's just part of a toolkit for trying to stem off the inevitable. Um, Win hearts I mean, if you minds. prefer opium is also the opiate of the masses, you can try that. You could just literally use oh. opium, yeah. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure, why not? I mean, that, that, also that, that seems... Also, an idea, you know? <laughs> so, uh, now, the fish, man, is that a speciesist term, by the way? Is that, is that okay? We fish people. Fish yeah. people. Um, and that, that they represent kind of your more traditional kind of external threat. Is there is there anything? That's sort of a temporary thing, actually. Yeah. It's, um, okay. We put them in back when we were doing early access. You had something to fight, and mm-hmm. they are currently sort of filling the role of you know just sort of generic goblins. So the mm-hmm. plan is for the next revision. Actually, is we're going to make them a little more interesting, but we're not going to tell you how on this podcast. Okay. Their their current sort of marauding waiter role will be taken over by something else. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. We 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 sort of realized, um, and and this was sort of just due to the nature. Of, yeah, like like Nicholas said, due to the nature of just wanting to have some uh, some external threats that we were really kind of moving away, moving in a direction that um, that wasn't very cosmic horror ish with the fish people, where they weren't really creepy. They were just. 
um, they're just a problem you had to deal with. And, uh, mm-hmm. we want to, we want to sort of bring that back in, uh, in an interesting way. In fact, we were having some design discussions about how to, how to implement that today. So, uh, we've got some really cool ideas and, uh, I think it's going to, it's going to be really fun when people get a chance to try the new major revision, uh, for November, which should be out, um, roughly in a couple of weeks. Cool. Very good. And I, and, and, uh, so, one of the things that um, that I noticed too uh, is, is as the messages would pop up is this notion of prestige. So, for example, they uh, at one point they said, "Hey, you're kind of running low on supplies. Do do you want more supplies?" And and if I said no, then I would get prestige. Um, and I'll have you know, my colony was very prestigious when they all starved <laughs> to death. Um, so, what does prestige get you uh, as as a, as a gameplay currency? Uh, right uh, now, it will eventually be exactly that. Uh, David, oh, yeah. you, this is your system. You talk sure, about. Sure. I mean, we didn't want to make a game where you had like a dollar amount that would you know mm-hmm. up and down because that seems kind of uh, mundane. Almost, it doesn't quite capture like you know you're the invisible hand of the bureaucracy. You're not like you know a, a number counter or something. I mean, right? I guess you are in a sense, but we don't want to make it quite about that. It's more of a. It can be an intangible thing about like having influence in the empire. So there are various ways to get it. Not just it's not just money. It's like, you know, if you make certain people, like the upper class happy, you'll probably get more prestige and be able to, you know, spend that as a currency of sorts to uh, mm-hmm. all the favors. Now, that, that's not currently in. There's like a very, a sort of weak notion. If you have high prestige, the supply drops will be larger. And if you have low prestige, they will be smaller because, you know, we see that as a colonial uh, ministry, you know, likes you or doesn't like you. So they fudge some of the numbers. And, sure. But we, sure. Know, that's sort of in place to show how the system is going to expand. Okay. Now, now, kind of talking about the class structure, that's one of the things too that I notice is this notion of having a kind of a, an upper class and a, and a lower class. Um, what are there particular jobs that are better suited for the particular classes? Is it is it simply a way to kind of kind of uh, just have lower cost buildings and higher cost buildings. I, I was kind of as a, I unfortunately did not have enough resources to build housing. People were sleeping on the floor of my uh, my kitchen uh, at one <laughs> point. Um, exactly right. Every, everyone was. We were all the ninety nine percent. My uh, <laughs> my God. very egalitarian so, of you. Yeah, that's right. So so talk to me a little bit about the the class structure and kind of what that what that gets the player um, as they're as they're working with it. I think that comes from uh, two places. I mean, one, it, thematically, like Victorian society is, you know, all about the class structure. So that has sure. things like, you know, the Dickens and the, so on. But the other thing that it helps us with is uh, the notion of a uh, cast of characters. Mm-hmm. So if you play or you throw a player into a game of like, you know, upwards of, you know, 100 or 200 characters, like they're going to instantly forget all of them. And it's not going to matter. Right. But, um, if we tie, if we make a, a certain, you know, smaller group of them, a classical, uh, more important, like, that's, then the player can focus on them and, and get their sort of cast of people that they care about. You know, we keep that number down to, you know, maybe 20 at most, if we can. Mm-hmm. So that's why we have the middle class uh, characters who are the overseers and artisans that lead work crews. And the lower class are just sort of... Uh, they can't really do a lot on their own. They they need a mm. middle class uh, manager to you know make them do stuff, and uh, you can sort of allocate them to uh, help one or another middle class character, you know, get a job done more quickly. Okay. And uh, 
Yeah, it's, it's basically a way to... So you, you can pay attention to those middle-class people, and it sort of ties the player's interests into the, 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 the fictional uh, class system. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to elevate someone from like a lower class up to a middle class if someone like let's say a, a fish person murders a middle class person or oh we had a big cult crazy yeah oh, we had boy. a big uh, <coughs> argument over this back when we, there was a button that did it the problem uh-huh. was it didn't actually uh, it didn't offend anyone in the game so it, I argued very strongly against including it yeah basically I, I could see that yeah we, we um, there's there's like there's kind of like there's there's a pro and con to it and I, I don't think the idea is totally gone but I think we will yeah we're, we're not quite settled on, an, on a way to reconcile the problems I mean on the one hand it's great if you have um, a character who uh, does a lot of really awesome stuff and is a lower class character and just you know put in the wrong situation or whatever and manages to do something spectacular and you want to reward them so you you, uh, you elevate them somehow. Um, that can be fun from a storytelling perspective, but it really breaks the um, uh, the setting a little bit. If, sure. If yeah. It's not if it's not costly. So um, if there's if we can if we can come up with a balance that feels good for having um, for having the other characters upset by this, but still make it worthwhile for the player who wants to absorb that risk to do something fun anyway, then we, we may do it, uh, but it'll, it'll come down to sort of tweaking. And again, I mean, um, early access is giving us sort of the perfect playground in order to try these ideas. Right. Well, the, you're right. Cause I mean, the class structure is rigid as it was. I mean, it's not like they would welcome someone welcome the chimney sweep with open arms, you know, <laughs> yeah. just because you know, this, this notion of new money, yeah. uh, it is a great but, opportunity uh, to create narrative conflict though. So that's why it's a, it's a really cool idea to have. We just need to have the consequences also be apparent to the player when they make right. decisions. Yeah. So, so how do you make these decisions where you have a setting and like you, you like, well, like if we talk, when we talk about the fish people, you know, you have a setting and you have mechanics that are working, uh, not, not just to promote the setting, but also just to, to allow the player to kind of accomplish the things that, that, uh, that she wants to accomplish. And then when those two things butt up against one another, um, where do you, decide to come down on is it i mean obviously it would be case by case but do you do you tend to lean more towards the setting and then figure out how to make the mechanics figure out another way to rework the mechanics um uh, or there so you usually it comes down to how much uh any like because nicholas uh david and i are um are, are basically the design team for the game and mm-hmm. it comes down to whether one of us um, has a strong enough opinion over whether or not to make a specific setting element work. In which case, okay. um, it's it's a good um, it's a good motivation to try to come up with some um, some positive gameplay outcome in order to uh, to sort of make it seem worth the while. And I mean, we also have to fight against feature creep right now because you know we've got right. a, we've got a game and we we have most of uh, of the sort of um, the set the systems in place that we like, and these are these are sort of the ones that we're we're talking about that are sort of optional at this point are, are pretty minor in terms of implementation, and they're mostly just um, tweaking values to, you know, get them to feel right. Um, so we don't want to take on anything really big, and if and if it's real a really if it seems like a substantial uh, impact and we're not already planning for it, then we just we just can't do it. I mean, we 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 have a big list of things that we'd love to be able to do, but are probably going to get pushed off because we just I don't know there's there's only so much time in the day. 
And, right, and then right. if it's small enough, then um, if, you know, we just sort of make a case and we see if we see if it works. Um, and, and usually, I mean, we're pretty we're pretty good about agreeing on stuff if there's if it seems like it's in everyone's best interest. And if it if it's not ever in uh, if it's not in everyone's best interest, then usually it gets sort of um, reworked and revamped in whoever's brain is uh, is working on it until we can come up with a way to make it in everybody's best interest. Right, right. Um, talking about the, when you're talking about feature creep and, and that type of thing, I mean, the, this is a game of many, many kind of different systems. If you if you go to the the dev blog and you talk about, for example, the post about uh, bullets, just what goes in, involved in making bullets and, and why ammunition is important, um, you know, all of the different materials, all of the different ways those things can all come together to make a little piece of metal that eventually a soldier is going to shoot at a fish person. With all of these different systems in place, I mean, how how do you even go about making a change to one of them at this point in the game without just making the whole house fall down. I mean, that's something like, 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 um, we went through that recently with um, sort of the economic tier system, which um, was a little bit um, is, is still a little bit um, tangled. And um, the, the sort of newer models make it easier for us to make little changes. But um, I don't know. It's a, it's a process. A lot of it comes down to making um, making our changes as um, as small as we can while tr- while while being capable of vetting an idea. And right. so that we can um, reverse them if we don't like them, and we can iterate on them easily. And push right. them to the experimental builds on a regular basis, too. Yeah. Yeah. Point. yeah, the experimental builds turn out to be a really good tool for helping to balance things um, and make sure that things still work. Um, there's nothing like having willing victims. Right, right. Now, do you have any kind of, like, like modeling tools, something where you could say, I'm going to make this change, and then I'm going to let this thing run through you know, maybe six, seven, eight, nine gameplay days just to kind of see what happens, or is, it, or is there, there kind of too much input needed to, to really make that worthwhile? Uh, it's a lot of input needed to make it worthwhile. We have uh, the ability to record replays uh, uh-huh. of a game, so we can look back at what happened and see, you know, see what's going on and what caused those decisions, but because changing anything breaks the, uh, the internal simulation, replay is only good until you actually make a change. Right. So that's kind of an interesting chicken and egg problem. Um, right, right. Uh, we have a bunch of sort of internal tools for you know showing why people made certain decisions in the simulation. Mm-hmm. But we don't really do sort of formal modeling processes of that type. Maybe no. we should. Maybe we should, but well, sort of, you know. There's another problem um, too, which is uh, like there, there some some games can take really good advantage of this. Um, uh, classic strategy games, for example, um, can take really good uh, advantage of running simulations because um, you set up um, you set up the, the conditions, you hit go, and you basically say, um, "I've changed the cost of this. Let's see how fast uh, my AI can pump out um, right. ten units of the highest level unit and see how that changes the balance." But with a game that is really 
um, freeform like this, um, I mean, really, the, 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 the only rigorous structure, the most rigorous structure that we have is the sort of the prestige missions that you get. And those are really more um, tools for us to motivate the player to try out different areas of the game that they're not, um, they, might, they might have overlooked or um, we think they might be interested in and so forth. Um, it's really just to sort of nudge them in the direction of saying, hey, you can do this. Give it a shot, and then see if you like it. And if you do, um, there's you know there's more stuff there. Go ahead and play. Uh, it's not it's not a you know build a super unit win the game because there's no victory condition. Really, right. um, there's it's it's just you know interacting with the world and watching these things take shape. And if if you're interested in generating as much prestige as possible, then you can play it that way. And then you can sort of say, okay, well I'm done um, I'm done playing in the sandbox. Uh, I'm going to move on to another one. But the the game is really is really stacked against you if that's what you want to do, and um, we're sort of uh, throwing things at you that sort of uh, uh, challenges that sort of scale with um, with how well you're doing to try and keep the game interesting and keep it from being a puzzle where there's a single number to optimize. Again, like I said, it's we're trying to get away from that puzzles those puzzles by making um, all of the uh, the impetuses on the on the player different all the time. Um, so it's, it's uh, so modeling doesn't really work because we don't have anything to we don't have that that sort of ideal condition to meet. Okay. Now, now one of the things when I know when you start up a game, you have multiple locations to to place your colony. Do you have the ability when you pick one to kind of expand to that other location if you want to take the time to get that large, or are you kind of limited in terms of the the amount of geography you can take? All of that is filler. Um, basically, their plan is to have a variety of biomes, and then a global map are stitched together, and you can choose an embarkation site. The way we're doing mm-hmm. it right now is to let us sort of build biomes one at a time and tune them one at a time, and at some point there'll be a, a pass where we actually get the world-building code in. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a, the, the colony site locations are just, you know, they're a separate map. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. Eventually, we'll have them be able to sort of affect uh, when, when, you know, finish with one, then move to another. Yeah. There'll be some effect mm-hmm. there, but uh, yeah. you can't, like, uh, you know, build a road on the Right, right, there's, right. There's little bits of a Potemkin village in every early access product, I think. That's one of us. Okay. Okay. So let's let's talk about early access. I mean, back I I play primarily um, consoles, but I started out as a as a PC gamer, and, and back in my day, if I can be old and curmudgeonly, <laughs> no. Um, you would get your copy of PC Gamer, and it would have a demo disc, and that was early access. <laughs> Oh man! And you and you would play twenty minutes, half an hour, maybe if you got lucky, it was forty five minutes, and you would go, okay, that is a thing um, that I would like to play, uh, and that's that's not at all how it is now. This is uh, so. So let me ask you this: you 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 have a product that people can can buy right now that is the game as they have access to the game as it is being developed and then they'll have the, the the game when it when it comes out it sounds vaguely sketchy and i'm not saying you guys are sketchy but early access are you are you con men is this a <laughs> flim flam job uh, it's on to it is this, like, <laughs> yeah, on is it. this like the music man is there trouble right here it's all quick time events like that thing like go back to the who's cow uh, no, but I mean, this is a this is a really interesting. I find this model fascinating uh, for a number of reasons, but mainly the fact that there are so many people interested in in spending money to play 
um, a product that is is currently in development. Are you surprised at the level of interest um, from folks who who want to get their hands on stuff this early? Initially, I think we were. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, because early access came out. Um, I, I, can't, I can't remember the exact sort of months and, and times that people started doing this, but it sort of um, started around the time that uh, Kickstarters started to become a yes. thing. And initially, uh, a lot of people um, were wary of Kickstarters as a as a model because I mean, it's it's a very similar thing. You're you're and, and in, in fact, it's even it's even more. Um, I think- Kickstarter's riskier. Yeah, it's, it, like you say, it's even more. It's even more risky because usually when you when you back a project, it's not playable at the time. You can't get access right. to the alpha right away. You're you're essentially um, you're investing in a in a in a in some kind of a business venture, and your your only eventual payout is the game itself, which you could get if you waited to buy the game when it was done. Um, and so you're right. I mean, it, it does that. That in those cases, it is riskier. And so we we kind of looked at that and we thought, you know, I we're at the time we Dreadmore um, was a, a thing that we we decided that we would do a traditional model where, you know, the game the game was released at a, on a certain date and then you could purchase the game and then you could play it and it was all the content and it was complete and then we did expansion packs again very traditionally. Uh, right. So we were pretty wary of the idea, especially because there was um, some reluctance within the gaming community of players because they didn't know, and there were there was some there were some um, high profile failures, high profile failures, which which yes. reinforced that. But one as time went on, um, like we we started our development blog for Clockwork Empires um, when we announced that we were working on the project, which was a long time ago, and we've right, been right. we have been. Um, sort of updating that on a regular basis for a very long time, uh, and the game was not playable. And we were getting a lot of interest in people sort of saying, well, when's the game ready yet? And we basically say, well, we're still doing engine work. Like, this this game is not is not playable yet. I mean, you can, you can sort of, if you have the right PC, because we didn't, we hadn't done any sort of testing on other, on other machines at that point, we sort of said, well, if you have the right PC and you load it up, basically you can see some of the characters. And there are a couple of things you can click, but it's not a game yet. And, and people were still interested in the idea of sort of helping us with that. And it was, the, we got enough of that, um, that level of enthusiasm. And at the same time, as we were sort of seeing the early access become a more a more common um, system, and that people not it's not that um, I don't think early access is necessarily becoming more or less uh, risky endeavor than it ever was, but mm-hmm. I think the people who are interested in it uh, this time goes on are more. Um, educated as to what it is and what they're right. signing up for, and right. at the point at which, it, it, at the point at which we sort of say, well, if we launch on early access, who is going to be buying this game, and will they be surprised at the fact that it's an early access? And if we can say, you know, that they that they will know what they're getting into and that they're interested in that, and that we are doing. Um, our due diligence to make sure that people um, understand what point in the in the development we are at, then it's a win-win because those people obviously want to play the game before it's ready, and right. we get the ability to um, vet design decisions, and um, we get a lot of um, great like people have been amazing at submitting bug reports and stuff for us, which have been right. so helpful to make the game stable and all that sort of thing. Like I, I think if done right. Everybody can benefit from it as long as we we are at that point where people 
know what they're getting into. And I think the point at which we decided to try early access was the point at which we felt that the vast majority of people who would see us on Steam would know what that was. Right, right. And I think you're right. I think communication is is got to be key because, you know, you, you definitely have to make sure that you're not. I think where where sometimes things, especially with Kickstarters, like you, you read some of these projects and you're like, "There's no way in right. hell you're going to make that game for fifty thousand dollars." <laughs> like it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and based on, and and depending upon your level of interest in the hobby and and how much. Uh, how deep you decide to go in that level of interest, you know, you may not be as informed in the, the ability to kind of see that maybe that thing's not going to work out. So, yeah. and then if you have somebody who backs something and it fails, all they go is, Oh, okay. These guys, you know, kind of took my money or whatever. Yeah. Um, but if you can have that level of communication open with the player, so they know, look, this is, a, this is where we are right now. We know that, you know, these things, these things, and these things are still being worked on. Here's what does work. Um, then, then really at that point, you know, the consumer, it's up to them. They have all the information. They can make the decision. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's really, really hard doing an early access title because you have to put out things on a regular schedule, which is for us right. once a month. They have to be reasonably stable, reasonably bug free, and they have to have enough old bugs fixed and enough new content that everybody's happy. And right. for, I think a lot of people, a lot of teams trying to do that is very easy to get in over your head. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, you can you have tools as a developer to sort of make this process better, more ethical, um, right. as it were. You can, you know, communication is super important, making sure that people understand where you are, what you're working on. I mean, that's why we do the weekly blogs. Um, but it's not actually that new an idea. So you were talking about PC, uh, PC Gamer. So mm-hmm. if you think all the way back to Shareware... The sort of the oh, yeah. first shareware breakout title, I think, yeah. was Commander Keen. And you right. know, the idea is Commander Keen 1 was released as shareware. People sent in their money, and they got the remaining two episodes. So yeah. when they released the first episode of Commander Keen, and you can read about this in Masters of Doom, um, its software hadn't done the other two games yet. Right. So that was just, you know, that came out, I think, about 20 years later. So there is a long-standing tradition of having various alternative funding models. It used to be shareware, um, and now we have early access Kickstarters, which I think are really enabled by everybody having the Internet these days. Right. Well, Minecraft, I mean, that was early access before there was kind of early access, right? I mean, he was... Right, right. Um, Now, you you talked about... uh, does it make you? I mean, you guys already had put out a game before, so and like you said, you use kind of the more traditional model. Does does doing early access? D- did you find that it, you had to be more disciplined than you were when you were working on Dungeons of Dreadmore, knowing that there was like an like an external schedule um, along the way? Definitely, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, we we didn't have the concept of. Um, I, I mean, we had we had a loose sort of structure because. Uh, Dungeons and Dreamer actually the the development up to release functioned a lot of the a lot of the same ways that um, that we're doing the Clockwork Empires release. I mean, uh, we're the same studio. We we we've we've learned a lot of lessons, but a lot of the same foundational work is there. Where in Dungeons and Dreamer before the game was out, we we had a period of I I think probably close to six months where we had people playing a closed beta version of it and doing the same thing where they were we were interacting with them on a regular basis. We were on you know IRC or our forums or 
or, or what have you, communicating with people where they were sending us bug reports and we were uh, iterating on um, gameplay balance, design ideas, and so forth as we were getting closer to release. But because the number of people was um, much smaller um, at that point, and we hadn't, you know, we hadn't taken, uh, we hadn't taken payment for any money for the game. It was, right. it was more informal. Um, there are, there, and there's still a lot of, um, there's still a lot of communication on that level um, with the people who are involved in early access. But, and, and you know, there are some people who are really comfortable with the fact that um, we will do the right thing and that um, they have paid us. And, and so a lot of the people who, who, who bought the early access version of Clockwork Empires aren't going to, buy, aren't even going to play it until the game is out. And they just have a confidence that we're going to finish it. But right. <laughs> but there's that other small group that we need to assume is out there that is going to expect um, this level of communication and you know development progress in detail once a month and um, n- uh, new experimental builds on a regular basis and new stable builds on a pl- on a regular basis and these blogs and all this stuff and it definitely puts more of an onus on us to uh, to deliver on that stuff. Now we'd had such a like we we had been we had been doing a development blog for ages before our early access. So we were pretty comfortable with that. And we had to nail down some better, um, some better protocols on, you know, just ways that we operate to get uh, stable builds out to people. And it's, I think it's improved our game tremendously. And it's, um, it's, it's, that pressure has been beneficial in that way because mm-hmm. it's been um, improving our processes. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, it's definitely more work um, to do it this way, but you know, I, I think, I, I think it's it's worth it in the long run. We've we've had, um, I, I think, early access has been super successful for us so far. Um, it's uh, given us, um, you know, the the runway to finish the game, and it's given us the ability to to test this stuff, and it's given us uh, a larger user base than we would have otherwise had. One thing right. as a as a designer, I think is it's very hard to know whether or not something's actually fun and good because you're too close to the product. How do you find out? Right. You stick people in front of it and see what happens. And then right. you figure out which of your assumptions are wrong, and you repeat. Because they're right. always wrong. Yeah. You, right. <laughs> well, both of our ideas are actually terrible. Um, <laughs> lesser, lesser known game design fact is that game designers don't know what you want. They just put everything in, and then they just... A good game designer is, is, not, is not one that instantly knows what people like. They're just the ones that are more, uh, more uh, accepting of throwing out the ideas that they were in love with. Yeah. The visionary designer is sort of a mythical creature. One of the interesting right. things that we have is um, we have a bunch of video game or schools locally that offer video game design programs, as well as you know, you know, learn to do three D modeling or whatever. And you know, occasionally we get asked to speak at these things. And you know, what do you, what should I do with my video game design degree? People ask. Well, learn something else. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, I want to do a quick aside on the dev blog. Who who writes the the post tags? Because I laughed my ass off today, <laughs> just reading through all of the post tags and clicking on them to go. Is there another one tagged this way? Like, <laughs> yeah, some of them there actually are. Yeah. We, oh, okay. We share that. It's just like yeah. you know. It usually gets a, a round of everybody in the in the the three of us going through it and adding stuff and okay. quite often it's sort of whatever silly thing happened yesterday has inspired a lot of it. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're the part of the editing process. We um, whoever writes the post passes it to the next person who edits the post, adds some tags, patches, passes it to the next person, and then this keeps going until we run out of ridiculous things to put on there, and then we then we post it. Yeah, but um, for folks listening, you should definitely check out the site. Go to the dev blog and and read the the tags because they're they're quite funny. Um, but getting back to to early access, so you know one of the I think one of the the things now that that has also you talked about early access not really being possible without the internet. Well, I think one of the other side effects of the internet is is kind of this this feeling of ownership that a lot of fans have about games that they like, um, and sometimes that's really good, and sometimes that gets taken a little bit too far. Um, do you find that when folks um, do uh, kind of purchase the game through early access and are more involved along the way that that sense of ownership um, increases uh, and then possibly to the point where maybe feathers get ruffled if they feel as if their concerns are not addressed um, in as timely a fashion as maybe they feel they should be. Ooh, that's um, a question. We, we, haven't actually, <laughs> we haven't actually had an issue with this. Um, uh, and, and I don't know. I mean, um, I, I guess you know we're not finished yet, so it could, that could be an issue. But we, I think maybe one of the things that um, that keeps this from being a problem is the fact that we've been that we've been uh, dev blogging for so long. We've we've right. done a um, I think a remarkably good job of sticking to the design that we came up with initially for the game, which was, you know, six months after Dreadmore came out in, in 2012. I mean, we've, we've been working on the thing for ages, but I don't think there have been, we were very careful about, pro, uh, about uh, promises and making sure that, you know, we could, we could keep our promises at least in some symbolic fashion. And I think that's, that's right. super important because you, you definitely do um, as a player, if you, if someone, if someone just has a bullet point on their, you know, Kickstarter or early access or whatever that says they're going to, you know, they're going to have, um, some ridiculous thing, and it just happens to be that thing that that sort of pushes you over the edge, and you say, "Yes, that's the reason I'm going to buy this game." You need to make right. sure that you you provide that at least somewhat. So, right. um, you know, I, I think we've done a pretty good job of that. And the other thing is that again, we've been the dev blog has been going for so long that I think because we've stuck to our guns um, on the features and uh, the way that the game is going to be played and all that stuff, that if somebody got if somebody had a notion of how the game is going to be played that was different, they would be able to see that pretty quickly uh, right, because there's right. just so much content that we have been, that we've been putting out, um, which is actually probably not like we, we, most people probably can't afford to do, you know, a year of development blog before they do their early access. And in, in like general, it's, it's seen as a, a bad idea because you can back yourself into a corner so quickly. But we, sure. you know, we, we made that choice early on and um, due to the fact that we've been able to suck, stick with it, we haven't had that issue, but I don't know who knows. I mean, we, we could have that, um, we could have a problem where someone says you, you said in this interview that you'd do this one thing. Um, and that could happen in a couple of months, but I, I don't know. I think we've, uh, so far we've, we've done pretty good by people. You have to be um, careful so. though. <laughs> uh, I have a worst sure. one for this. I have this nasty tendency to run my mouth off and, and then everybody goes, <laughs> oh no, what are <laughs> Yeah, I've had my, I've had my finger over the end call button this whole time. <laughs> also, we are, we are seven just second just delay. <laughs> Actually, in the back of this whole silo. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, you understand what I'm saying. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, folks, they just... And especially if you've kind of been paying early access, there there's... Because there's two kind of... 
I don't want to say there's two sides. I mean, there's there there's only one side, and that side is this is the thing that we're giving you, and you can either choose to have it now or you can wait and have it later. But I could see how some folks might say, okay, well, you know, I really want this thing fixed right now, and it's not, and I paid for this, so it should be. You know, that that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, to, and to uh, that degree, we've had a little bit of that. Um, sure. People, for example, I mean, a, a very common thing in, in every early access is that some there are some uh, compatibility issues that affect some people and other ones that right. affect other people. And, um, you know, obviously everybody's going to want their, their, their thing fixed first. But uh, again, I mean, I, I think that that, or I feel like that, uh, that tendency with early access has diminished as expectations for early access have, right. yeah. you know, gotten better, yeah. gotten more like, more realistic. There has been right. consumer education going on. And so Absolutely. I think people have a have a, a better expectation of you know this is this is what I'm getting and it may not ever be finished and it could also go up in a horrific ball of flames and I don't know <laughs> we yeah. all there know. are there are some people on the forum that um, sort of say hey you know um, I bought this uh, a month ago and I have this one issue and. Um, I just logged in again just to see if it was fixed, and it hasn't been fixed yet. So I just wanted to let you know that it's still a problem, and I'll check back in a month. Good luck to you. And right, right. That's like that. That is an amazing level of understanding. I don't think I would be. Um, I, I don't think I would be capable of that as a as a consumer. Um, but again, I mean, like like Nicholas said, it's it's consumer education. Right. Well, uh, that, now that being said, I I did have a, an issue when I first started playing, and and the forums, the people there, they straightened me right out. I didn't know that I had to tell. I have a new gaming laptop. I didn't know I had to tell it to always use the 3D card and not to you know kind of. And I, I yeah, went online they're like, oh yeah, do this, and I was like, sweet, it worked great. So I mean, people seem you know they're very supportive, very very happy to help each other out. And like you said, when they had an issue, just hey, let you know that this is happening, and I saw a lot of responses um, from your team saying, yeah, we know about this, you can try this, or, you know, we, we talk about this, this, and this, and that there was um, a level of engagement there <laughs> that um, I think, kind of going back to your your point about communication, that I think is really necessary uh, for this type of thing, and, and I think you guys, you know, I mean, I applaud you for, for, for doing that, because I think it just makes everybody's uh, everybody's life a little bit easier. I mean, I think it's, it's it's super important that people feel like, you know, that they want to be a part of the community and that the community is really a good place to be. We spent a lot of time as a studio and a lot of effort and thinking trying to get it so our forums are pretty awesome. And right. so far, we've succeeded. Um, yeah. Famous last words. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the, the, the idea of the consumer education about early access. There's also developer education because you know we we watch how early access goes for other people, and when it goes wrong, right? Like, or we have to we look at it. it. We go, oh, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's. That, that, so it's other uh, projects' failures have reinforced like how extremely important communication is and doing it regularly and always following through. Like even if something doesn't work, as long as you communicate like, you know, we know and we're working on it, then you know right, then right. we're doing the right thing. Right. So is there like a not to do list on a whiteboard somewhere? Not to do list. we we have stuff written down, but it's not sort of that format. It's more than sort right, of as right. we you know, as we keep doing this, and occasionally when you know we see something which somebody else is doing, which is either a really good idea or a really bad idea, we're like, oh, we should do that, or oh, let's let's 
make sure we don't do that. Yeah. Um, right. You know, it's very, very good. Uh, who's it? Is it an intelligent man learns from his own mistakes and a wise man learns from other people? I don't know. Yeah. Probably Confucius. We're in a, we, we haven't learned from other people, so I guess that's... <laughs> yeah, that's we're out. Uh, <laughs> um so 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 now let's let let's let's go ahead and back you into a corner and let's um what do you have planned for the upcoming uh so first of all do you have a kind of a, a date planned for when uh, when we're going to be you're going to wrap it up um or are you still kind of working on that we're i i think um let's look a bit yeah well we're we're I, i'm not going to commit to a date the uh <laughs> Thanks for the interference, though. No, when we um, we first posted our um, develop uh, development uh, progress page, um, one of the things in that was uh, a rough idea of when we thought we might eventually be finished. But mm-hmm. um, and and um, what was it? I think it said nine months from when we initially started, which is August. But the I think the more useful thing on that page is that every month we kind of, we go over all the, the list of all of the, um, the systems and sort of say, okay, well, where are we now? Where do we want to be and how are we doing? And we put up, uh, both a, um, the two, two sort of, uh, pr- like progress bars, one progress bar for how close we are for uh, like in terms of code and art and actual literal things we need to get done from the beginning of the project till when pe- it's going to be playable and awesome. Um, that like to, till uh, that that we are um, so like you know the the engine for example is 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 pretty close to done so it's 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 progress I can't remember offhand but is 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 doing pretty well and then the other thing is how is playable progress on that uh, given feature because playable progress always lags behind because we need to build a lot of infrastructure sure. before we can use it so in spite of the fact that the game feels sort of half done it's 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 significantly. Uh, further beyond that. So um, I think if you want to know where we're at and what our trajectory is, watching that page is probably the best way to go. And if you want to know how close the game is to being done, um, looking at an estimated release date from months ago is not going to be nearly as valuable as, as looking right. at that progress page. Okay. So, so what, what can folks expect then in, in kind of some upcoming, cause you're doing, you're doing releases every month. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So yes. we're going to have a new release in November. Okay. And is there, I know there's stuff you said you can't talk about for the release in November. Is there stuff that you can, you can whet our, our listeners appetites for, for what's coming in November? Uh, we already discussed uh, the church, that mm-hmm. uh, vicarage, uh, vicars preaching sermons. Uh, it's like it is a cult measure. Yeah. You know, something uplifting, because uh, it's been noted that everyone just feels terrible all the time. So we need something positive. Yeah. Sure. There's going to be some... It's too uh, realistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there'll be some, uh, sort of, there's some ongoing work I've been doing on... I don't get to do fun stuff anymore. Um, uh-huh. I'm still doing better than Daniel, who I think spent all this week doing paperwork, but yep. I don't get to do fun programming. Um, there's... The economic stuff is fun. I don't know. Yeah. David, you like optimizing grade silos. Anyways, um, <laughs> so... There's a bunch of economic stuff, for instance, having buildings have different material costs, so it's not always wood. Uh, having workshops have a, the ability to have standing orders, like make sure, you know, if yeah, the quality supply of planks is less than five planks, do those yeah. and have some sort of ways of prioritizing those. A bunch of sort of very similar cleanups to that sort of a thing. Um, That'll tie into our, like, our idea of economic tiers. So, you know, you build your first your carpentry shop and some other stuff, and you start upgrading through, like, you know, refining metals and like building more complex 
things. And uh, yeah. there's not really a strong sense of that right now, but by the end of this, we should have a much better sense of that. Yeah. One of the big impediments to putting in more content is that getting that sort of first tier of the economy stuff working as well as it possibly can requires us to go through and, you know, um, Nobutake Morgan our way out of it. <laughs> uh, well, it cannot simply build an economic interest, you know, uh, take time for the beach and get your data probe or whatever the quote is. No, that was... That, that, was, that wasn't Morgan, man. That was whatever. Whatever. Oh, she was, she was no. just trying to no, sell I, you maglevs. Oh, no, I need to sit in the gene jacks here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, so lots of exciting stuff. <laughs> Affliction. We got Affliction those. Oh, yeah. Those are fun. Oh, okay. oh, sorry. I forgot about them. Yes. So. You get to be injured the, in unique and exciting ways. Yes. Ooh, in order to. Wait. There's a. Um, it, one of the big in, inspirations between Clockwork Empires, obviously, is Dwarf Fortress, where they simulate muscles and muscle injury down to, you know, exacting detail. Um, we're not doing at, that. We're not doing that. God, no. Um, if you look at Tony's change log for last week, it's, you know, today was mostly a day working on pulping. Well, okay, Ooh. thanks. Um, so what we're doing is um, actually, I think, lifting the uh, designs from Dominions Four basically verbatim. Uh, the notion that as you go, <laughs> always th- a good idea. Oh well, no. Uh, um, you know, I mean, which which uh, highly insanely detailed modeled game do you want to get inspiration from? You know, Dwarf Fortress is too complicated. Oh, let's 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 look for ideas from Dominions. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> um, so. The idea behind afflictions is that as you as you take damage, you may get an affliction, which is you know something like you've you know your your shoulders being shot, you have you have gained an injury of some sort, um, mm-hmm. and these stay with you. Um, there will be medical treatment options for various definitions of medical and treatment. Um, I believe the plan is still to have at some point jolly little barbers that will go and bleed. Nicholas you loves the barbers. You with leeches and turn you with say, pies, yeah. but now um, who's the barber? <laughs> who's your barber? Um, but they're not hooked up yet. So we're not committing to them for um, for the next patch. But afflictions are hooked up. Yeah, you you will definitely get injured. You just might not have anything to do about it. Yes, <laughs> right, um, right. I mean. If there's one thing I learned from uh, Japanese anime, it's that enough bandages heal everything. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and that ought to help with that whole uplifting thing. You absolutely. Know, people, when your colony turns into a, like a leper colony, that ought to yeah, really a, a jolly a jolly sermon from the vicar and a bunch of bandages will be right as rain. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. My Joe, good to be a citizen of the Empire. Oh, why is this? Why is this getting more realistic? Well, I mean, That's right. <laughs> I don't know if uh, if if you if any of you uh, guys uh, saw um, the Nick, which was a, a oh, I've a got that on my PBR right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's um, it's amazing as a species we we managed to survive. I'll just I'll just kind of knowing that you know basically that was just you know a hundred years ago. Oh man. Uh, yeah. It, it it's something. Um, so so that's when you, when you're kind of talking about that, that and that's actually you know set you know several decades kind of after what what you guys are yeah. talking about. Yeah, we take antiseptic uh, for granted right now, but uh, it's, yes, yeah, it's it's shockingly recent that that came. Around. Yes, yes, um, and then and then in terms of I know this is way far out, but um, you know, kind of some ideas that maybe you 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 had to to put aside to to work on. Do you have like post kind of post release plans for uh, you know maybe if if 
if things um, if the game's well received uh, to to be able to kind of add in if you wanted to do extra content and expansion or or what have you. Well, we totally have plans. But, uh, okay, yeah, we're not, not talking about those. We all yeah, we all have plans, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think given the opportunity, there is a lot of fun stuff we can do uh, right. with Blogger Empire. So it really sort of um, depends on what happens. Yeah. I mean, we we kept supporting Dreadmore. Um, I think our our last patch was actually we did one this year. Mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty good for a game that's three years old and sells for sure. the price of a latte. Um, but that's turned out to be really successful for us, both in terms of you know promoting what we think is important as a company and also just as a as a fiscal thing. So mm-hmm. there will be probably some post release support. Sure. Yeah. Well, very good. Uh, is there anything uh, before we wrap up? Anything at all you guys would like to, to say about the game or about uh, your studio? Or is your your chance to let it all out. You want uh, to here, yeah. We've been talking about the game in the studio for an hour. What do you want? <laughs> uh, well, I I I was really um, kind of pleasantly surprised. Like I said, I don't I don't play a lot of city builders, colony builders, and I I love the feel of the game. I think um, the 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 cosmic horror and the Victorian kind of buttoned up sensibilities. I think they go great together i was very i was surprised the first time kind of like i i had known about i i'd known about the fishmen the cosmic horror aspect that that kind of took me by surprise and um and then i kind of laughed at the misfortune of it all um awesome. but i good attitude. i think yeah. that um i mean it looks like it's really it's really coming together um quite nicely so um and like i said i think the the kind of the level of communication um, that the studio has with its fans is, is great, and hopefully um, other folks that are looking into doing early access stuff will kind of take a look at what you're doing and go, hey, that that seems like um, that, that's kind of the way to go. I think everybody wins when we all kind of talk to one another a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so, so if people want to get their hands on a copy of Clockwork Empires, where where can they go for that? And then if they want to uh, read about the game, um, check out the studio. Uh, if you guys are on Twitter, all that stuff, where would they 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 um, get in touch with all of you? Uh, they can get the game on Steam right now. You actually have to go to their early access section and, and fumble around, I think. There's, um, it's also on clockwerkempires.com. Yeah, uh, there's a, there's a, a link to uh, purchasing, purchasing it either through Humble or through Steam, and the Humble purchase will actually get you a copy of, um, of the, the Steam version of the game. Um, it's also a, a pretty good place to find information um, about the current status of the project. Uh, there's a community portal which um, stays up to date with our blog and uh, recent discussions on Twitter and the forums and everything. Um, it's, actually, it's actually pretty cool. And uh, our, our studio's webpage is gasonfgames.com. Uh, we again, we update that at, at least once a week, and our forums are accessible either through clockworkempires.com or through gaslampgames.com, and we are very active on those. So um, yeah, go ahead. We and also we also have a mailing list. We will send you the blog post every week, so you don't forget. Uh, <laughs> oh, nice. and we throw in bonus. Um, what is it? It's, it's the 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 bi- fortnightly aethograph of amusement and folly. Thank you. That's <laughs> and so you get something completely random that nobody else gets, and you can enjoy that. And it's usually pretty horrifying. Um, yeah. And then, um, are, are you gentlemen on Twitter at all? Oh yeah. Tweet far too much. 
Okay. Uh, Daniel? Yeah, um, I'm, I am citizen underscore Daniel. Uh, uh, and okay. uh, the Gaslamp Games is just at Gaslamp Games, and Clockwork Empires is at Clockwork Empires, except Clockwork is C-L-O-C-K-W-R-K. We couldn't fit the O in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Nicholas? I'm Envining, N-V-I-N-I-N-G. Okay. And David, what about you? And I'm at D.G. Baumgart. That's B-A-U-M-G-A-R-T. All right. Um, and then um, I, I, when I was on the forums, when I was flailing around in the mud and everybody was dying, I, I did go on the forums and I found um, some kind of uh, some uh, some some help in terms of, OK, here's here's kind of a basic order of operations, things that you, you want to uh, kind of do. Uh, do you have like a kind of a formal Hey, you're new to this kind of type of colony builder. Here, here's some basic things that you want to. Oh, I read uh, that. Yeah, um, do, do first. We did find that no one reads the manual ever. Yeah, <laughs> never. <laughs> Which is unfortunate. I mean, because uh, we have to keep changing it every month, right? Because right, sure. The way you do everything changes just a little bit every month. So it's a right. I mean, there are some uh, fans who are updating a wiki, which is oh, okay. And, yeah. There's also, um, David has lovingly um, crafted a number of slides um, within the game, so if you if you pick up the game, mm-hmm. the at the very beginning, it sort of asks you if you hate reading or if you're interested yeah, in, I saw that. in yep. his uh, carefully crafted images of the uh, the UI, which is, is, is pretty effective. It's the same content yes. as the starter guide, but it's in the game. But having the, I think having the guide you know, kind of, better. like, yeah. yeah, having it kind of there on my iPad, and I could go, okay, do this, okay, do that, you know, but... Um, and and then and that stuff that you said that's in the that's on the forums or uh, at the at the at the clockworkempires.com is that I believe there was a sticky on the forums it's that, still up there it's, it's just on not Steam as well under yeah. the manual section I think yeah but okay. it is slightly out of date and they're really out to update that well there you go that can, yeah. that can be tonight you know if you've got nothing else to do <laughs> <laughs> you just have to like put like print out all of the in game stuff and put it on a PDF or something actually that's a great idea I I could do that. That's easy. <laughs> Look at this. Look That's at this. We're, 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 you know, we're resolving our process uh, and improving our communication while on the it's podcast. A, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's just this is a this is this is poetry in motion. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm so I'm so happy right now. I'm, like, let's <laughs> let's create some drawings. <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, I am um, I'm very uh, very thankful, very happy that uh, you took the time to join us. Um, hopefully, you had a good time. Oh, and um, yeah. Thanks for uh, I wish you, yeah, absolutely. I wish you all the best. I can't wait uh, for for the November uh, build to come out so that I can find new and interesting ways to pull a Jamestown and kill everybody <laughs> in my colony. Um, so uh, again, check out uh, clockworkempires.com. And um, for myself and for uh, Tom, who is still convalescing at home and hopefully Get well soon. Uh, doing well. Um, this has been the quarter to three games podcast for the first week of November. So thank you so much for joining us and I look forward to speaking with you in the next two weeks. Uh, so good night everyone and have a good evening. Good night.